Um, as the Lord moved up our timeline, I taught personal evangelism in February with the intent of going out soul winning on Saturdays. And so um, uh, churches have signed up to come and help us. We had 17 out, uh, eight from uh, Gospel Baptist in Poland, Ohio, which is in Youngstown, uh, nine from Willoughby. Uh, we got out 1,100 pieces of gospel literature that first Saturday. And I asked a man who, who was born and raised and has never left Willoughby, I said, how long have you lived here, Chris? He goes, my whole life. He's in his young 30s. I said, anybody ever knock on your door before? He goes, nope. Anybody ever leave a gospel piece of literature on your door? He goes, nope. Other than a Jehovah's Witness, he's never had uh, anybody share the gospel with him or leave a piece of gospel literature. I said, well, that's about to change because uh, Willoughby is going to get sick of us as much as we're going to be sharing the gospel. And so we uh, got those pieces of literature out. Um, and then they came back with four different people for me to follow up on. Uh, one of which, actually, um, now you're going to think ill of this at first, because I did too. Um, the lady saw something on her door. She ran to her car to track them down. And I'm thinking, normally in Cleveland when that happens, I'm getting a John and Romans thrown at me. Um, and so I'm thinking, like, oh, God, here we go. Um, because, but she said, no, no, I need, I need something in my life. I need to know more about this. And so we followed up on a visit. Actually, the other day when you were calling me, uh, we were there. Uh, and after two hours of uh, a spiritual battle with uh, Nancy, um, she bowed her head and trusted Christ as her Savior. Just a couple days ago, my wife led her to the Lord. And so pray for her. Uh, pray for us. God is doing something special. I've never seen anything like this. Um, our, our goal, our, 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 uh, our theme for the year is to be of one accord. You know, we're asking people to pray specifically. Uh, we talked about, um, you know, the financial needs, right? We need, we're about 8500 from our startup cost goal. We're about $800 a month of our personal support uh, goal. We ask for that prayer. Uh, but more importantly, we, we pray that God is glorified uh, and, and, and souls are saved in Willoughby, Ohio. We pray for wisdom, for God to continue to lead as he has every step of the way. And we ask for prayer for unity. Uh, we have different groups coming together, and we need to be of one mind. We need to be of one accord. <clears throat> and I said, I've never seen an Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47 church. I said, but I want to see that. I want to see uh, God being glorified and favor with all the people and the Lord adding to the church daily such as should be saved. I want to see that so much in our country, in our nation, and in our city of Willoughby. Um, just, just pray for us. Again, we, we need God. We need him so much. We can do nothing outside of him and his will, and we just need that and to surrender to it. And so we're going to be in the, the book of Ezra, chapter 1, this morning. Pastor Pete preached through Ezra this past summer, and I'm very rarely at Cleveland Baptist, and I wasn't there uh, for this, but I had a chance to listen to the message. And this is not his message, um, but for the preachers in here, you know, sometimes the Holy Spirit just gives you a message. And my study time for this was probably about 30 minutes. It was pretty much just writing down what the Lord was giving me uh, out of this chapter, out of this text, uh, Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Um, it, it's so fitting for where we currently are. And so I've entitled this message out of Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, How God Builds a House of Worship. How God Builds a House of Worship. Now, we have currently several traditional models, I'll call them, in which we plan churches today, or in other words, build houses of worship. Now, I'm not knocking. We've done part of both of these models, and these models are good. But as my mentor uh, always told me, good is the enemy of great. And doesn't God deserve great? Don't we want to see God do great things? Uh, Pastor Folger sent me a clip of a message he preached at Spiritual Leadership Asia, and he said, uh, they sent me this clip that I said when I was preaching, and it made me think of you. He said, God does not ask us to do the impossible. 
He just asks us to be a part of allowing him to, through us, do the impossible. Right? We can do none of these things on our own, but he wants to. He wants to use us. He wants to yoke up with us to see great things done for his honor and for his glory. And so model A is a family goes to a community that needs a church. They get jobs. They toil working, and then they do what they can in the spare time to start a church. Right? And again, I am not afraid of hard work. Um, I'm, a, I'm a concrete finisher by trade. That's hard work, and I don't have a problem doing that, but I'm human. Uh, I get tired, right? There's only 24 hours in a day. And my Bible tells me that Jesus told them, leave your fishermen's nets and come and follow me. He didn't say fish all night and then give me the leftover scrap in the morning, right? He wanted them full time doing the work of the ministry. Now, again, this model will work, and at least somebody's starting a church sooner. Uh, but what we've seen, the reason why our, our country is in the state that it is, is because it takes churches so long to get off the ground to be self-supporting, and very rarely are they reproducing, because it is so much work just to get to that point. <clears throat> now, Model B uh, is going on what we call deputation, right? And again, I'm not knocking. I worked last year. I'm doing deputation in between. Um, but but until, if we really want to make a difference, we got to get past these models to and get back to the biblical model of uh, seeing teams go out and get works done, working together to get it started. And so Model B um, takes longer to get started uh, because you're talking about sometimes in, in the states, uh, you're talking about sometimes three to four years to raise the support needed to go to an area and start a church. Um, it's just that that's just the way it has been traditionally. Now, again, um, this church will catch up to Model A soon, um, but it's a long time without it starting. And I, I didn't have peace about waiting four years to start a church when God told me to start a church when there's 23,000 souls uh, that how many of them could die in that three, four year period and go off into eternity. And so today, today we're going to discuss uh, from Ezra chapter 1, how God builds a house of worship. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask you now, give us clarity. Uh, hide me behind this pulpit. Hide me behind the cross. Help me to lift you up. Uh, Holy Spirit, give me the words to say and give us all ears to hear, uh, Lord, what you have for each and every one of us, Lord, as individuals, as families, and as a church family here uh, in this area, your body here to reach this area and this nation with the gospel. Lord, use us today. Uh, give us uh, what you have for us. Help us to lift you up and glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So God's way of building a house of worship always starts with point number one, the charge. Point number one, the charge. Now, if we look at our text in Ezra chapter one, uh, verse one, it says, now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, and he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, and he put it also in writing. Now, let me just pause there for, for, for a minute and just say that, that we have come uh, so far in a wrong way in our country and even in our churches when it comes to making a proclamation and putting something in writing, right? We don't even want to sign up for stuff anymore. I mean, any, anyone that's here that's in the ministry, you're all laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. How do I know how much food to prepare when nobody's telling me if they're coming or not, right? And that's something that's silly that we laugh about. How many gospel tracts do we buy? How many maps do we print out? How many ministries do we start that God wants us to start if we don't know we're going to have laborers to do it? 
right? Um, we don't want to put our names on anything. My grandfather started the construction business uh, in 1956. He came from Italy in 52. By 56, he had his own business, right? That's how they did it back then. Now things are very much different. And I remember showing him the contracts that I labored over designing and making sure every jot and tittle was right, you know, so we, if we had to sue somebody and this and that and the other. And he looked at me and he goes, he goes, we never used to have contracts. We just shook hands. I just put my hand out, someone was shaking, and I would do what I said I was going to do, even if I made a mistake. And people would do what they said they were going to do, and they paid me when the job was done. We live in a different time. This time, uh, if you remember, in the book of Ezra, it's, it's written in the same time period as, as Esther was written, right? And when Esther was written, the king uh, wrote a proclamation similar. Uh, after he was tricked, he wrote a proclamation that the Jews uh, were going to be annihilated. Now, once the king put it in writing, there was no going back. Even for the king, once he found out that he was tricked, he didn't just rip up that piece of paper as so many of us want to do today, right? We don't want to commit, and then when we do commit, we don't stand behind it. We just run from our commitment. Um, he had to write another proclamation that the Jews were able to defend themselves. I was at Cleveland Baptist at some point this past summer, and there was a man that, that knows the area that we're at fairly well. And, and he was asking me how things were going, and he was smiling as I was telling him what, what the Lord was doing. And, and at a certain point in the conversation, he got very serious in his face. And I, and I kind of stopped because, you know, it seemed like something was wrong, something was bothering him. And he looked at me, and he goes, don't quit. Don't quit. And I said, I said, I'm sorry? He goes, that area, it's dark. It needs the gospel. They need Jesus. Don't quit. You can't quit. And I said, listen, I may die trying but I will not quit. There is no surrender. There is no going back. There is only the mission. There is only going forward in doing what the Lord has called us to do. See, we have put our names on it. We moved five minutes from the church. We are all in in Willoughby, Ohio. That is my Jerusalem. That is my community. Um, there is no surrender. There is no going back. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of Jesus Christ if we start claiming the victory that this book tells us that we have. We have to stop feeling sorry for ourselves. Oh, COVID this. Oh, election this. We got to get over it. We win. Amen? We have victory in Christ Jesus. We're promised suffering and persecution in this life, right? But we're also promised the glory to come. Amen? And we need to share that with the nation that's out there because they're looking around and their ears are perked up. We went back to normal. And normal doesn't seem right to anybody anymore. Normal never was right in the world, but they thought it was right. Until now, they're realizing it's not. We have a window, brothers and sisters. We have a window to reach our nation with the gospel before it is too late. But we have to accept the charge. We have to accept it as every one of us as Christians has been given this charge. Uh, look at verse 2. It says, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all, all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Every good gift that we have came from God. Amen. And it should be used for his glory. We've got to start looking at things that way. This guy says, hey, I am like the king around this place. I took over. God gave me all this. And who am I to not send his people back to build him a house? I'm sure his people weren't too excited about their free labor going out the door, right? But hey, when God speaks, we should move. We should act. 
I like doing word studies. I like that word charge. Uh, it kind of charged me up, no pun intended, right when I heard it. And so I'm saying, okay, well, how do we apply this to us in the New Testament? So I did a word study and I ended up in uh, 2 Timothy. And so if you could hold your place in Ezra and just go to 2 Timothy, uh, we're gonna read in chapter four, but I, I do wanna stop and read uh, 2 Timothy 2.2 on our way there, which is really our ministry model verse. And it's also here to prove that this book was not just written to apostles or pastors or Timothy. The ground is level at the cross, right? Um, it's not preachers who stand up here in one class and then those in the pews another class, right? We believe in the priesthood of the believer, amen? Now, there's a lot of good that comes with that. And when we amen, that's awesome. But we got to remember that means that it's up to each and every one of us to fulfill the Great Commission. Not just pastors, amen? Not just preachers, all of us. And so 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2 says, The things that thou hast heard of me. Now we know the things that were heard of Paul. He says, those things that you heard of me, that you saw me do, that you also did after I trained you. He said, those things that you have heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Listen, Timothy, it's not enough that I did it and that I taught you to do it and you're doing it. It can't stop here. It has to go on. You have to teach others to do it also. Paul is about to be offered up. He knows this is his last time to make a difference. Uh, what would you say to someone that you loved if you knew your time to go home to heaven was close? Right? This is what we're hearing. He says, don't stop, Timothy. Teach others who can teach others also. And if you're here today and you're born again, somebody that was born again reached you with the gospel. Lost people don't share the gospel, right? From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now, if you're here this morning and you're born again, say amen. amen. That was pretty good. Normally, I have to make people say it twice. Amen. We are born again. We are more than conquerors in Christ. And don't you want to share that with somebody else? Aren't you grateful for the person that shared the faith with you? And we have to not only do that, but take every ministry that you're a part of, that God calls you to be a part of, and, and take it as an opportunity to teach somebody else. Disciple somebody, not just in the book, but in soul winning, in teaching, in serving, in, in vacuuming. I am just as much serving the Lord when I vacuum the auditorium, which I got to do when I get back because they made a lot of mess running wires yesterday, as I am cutting the grass or preaching the gospel. It really doesn't matter what we do as long as we're doing it for the Lord, right? And, and whatever it is that we're doing, find somebody and invest in them so we reproduce ourselves. So when the Lord calls for a church to be started, we have an extra piano player. We have an extra Sunday school teacher. We have an extra uh, audiovisual guy that could help set up equipment, right? We have to be able to do that. And so I say all that to say, and that's really our, our ministry model of training people, reproducing ourselves, um, to get to chapter four, and help us to understand that he's speaking to each and every one of us today. And so uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, here, here, here's the word study. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Now, I'm here to tell you that, that we all know it, but I just want to say it because it's so good to hear it. If you're born again, you are justified. It is just as if I had never sinned in God's eyes. Amen. Hallelujah. He doesn't see sinful Frank. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ because I'm robed in his righteousness. 
And I'm so grateful for that. Um, we do know that the great white throne judgment is coming where he shall judge the dead, those who are dead in their sins and trespasses. Now, I'm so grateful that we're not going there, uh, but I also want to be used to bring more people away from that and not face that judgment. But he, it says also, he's not just going to judge the dead, he's going to judge the quick. Those who are quickened alive in the spirit, those who are born again. Do you know, brother and sister, that we are going to face a judgment as well? Now that's called the Bema Seat or the Award Seat of Christ, the Judgment Seat of Christ, where we will be judged based on what we do with what we've been given. Now again, if we're born again, you have the Holy Spirit of God inside of you. We have, Pastor, from your conference, we have the perfect, preserved Word of God in the English-speaking language. I own four of these. We are spoiled, right? We have the Word of... This is God's word that we hold in our hands. We have spiritual gifts that he's given to each and every one of us. Now listen, if you're in here today and you're born again, there is something that you are better than uh, everybody else in this room at. Because God gifts us spiritually with different things. And there's something that every one of us is the worst thing at. That's why we have a body, uh, members one of another, covering for each other. Right? I cannot do audiovisual stuff. I can barely run my phone. My son's 14, and he does all this. He's like, let me have that, Dad. Right? My, my daughter is a whiz when it comes. She taught in Sunday school. She's a great teacher. She's so caring. We call her the calming goat. She just calms the situations down. She, she's in the nursery working. She's teaching the young kids classes, so my wife doesn't have to be in every service in the nursery. My wife does pretty much everything else. <laughs> I, I, they make me look really good, right? Because we are all gifted in different ways. And so we are going to stand before God Almighty and answer for what we've done with what he's given to us. So, so what are we doing? Have we accepted the charge to use what he's given us for his honor and glory? And so he says, I charge you therefore, right, uh, at his appearing uh, in his kingdom. What is the charge? Preach the word. Not just standing behind a pulpit of wood, uh, at your workplace, uh, on your couch, and from door to door. Preach the word. Be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come, and I believe we could say in 2023 in America, and the time now is when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. But watch thou in all things, endure affliction, endure it, it's coming, we need to endure it, uh, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth, because of that, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. Now think about this for a minute. I, I struggled with this at first. I said, well, who wouldn't love God's appearing? Right? And, I, and I, I thought about it, and I love the fact that we have the relationship of a father and a son. Because I've never stopped loving my dad, but I haven't always loved his appearing. Right? Remember when you used to hear the words, just wait till your dad gets home. Now, I love my dad, but when you have a big six foot three Italian guy uh, that, that is going to hear something very nasty after doing concrete all day from his wife, I didn't love his appearing. I loved him. I didn't love his appearing. As a matter of fact, when he appeared, 
I would probably be in my room hiding, pretending to do homework, uh, pretending to f clean something up, right? I didn't love his appearing, right? Now take that to the other side and you did something good. You got a good grade, you got a good mark sent home from school, right? And then you heard, oh, when dad gets home, we're going for ice cream or we're going for pizza. Now do you think that I was hiding in the back room when I heard those words? No, I was always a big guy. Uh, I wouldn't even be at the front door, right? I wouldn't be hiding, I wouldn't be at the front door. As a matter of fact, when, when we would get to that point where I knew daddy was coming home and, and I loved his appearing, I would be on my big wheel going across the driveway on the public sidewalk. My dad couldn't even pull his truck in the driveway. You know why? Because I loved daddy's appearance. I couldn't wait for him to get home. And I'm here to tell you, most Christians are not loving the return of the Lord Jesus Christ because we're not ready. We have stopped fulfilling the Great Commission. We have stopped. We have left our first love. We are no longer doing the, what we're supposed to do with the right motives, to glorify God, right? We are going to stand before our Savior, our Savior, our Creator, our Sustainer, the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but I want to hit my knees in front of him. I want to have crowns to cast at his feet. I long to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. This morning when I woke up, my back hurt, my stomach hurt. I mean, I just, I felt like a mess. It was time change. Whoever invented time change? I don't know, but we got to do something with that guy. It was insane, right? But, but I got out of bed. You know why? Because I want to hear well done. I want to finish well. I want to die old and broke and given every, broken down, given every cent that I have, every, every ounce of strength that I have to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I got a new body waiting for me. The back that's a broken, it's not going to matter for all of eternity because I got a glorified one, right? And we need to understand that we need to think about things uh, with eternity in mind. Now turn back to our text and we won't be much longer. I know I... I could go off a little bit on that, but I think, I think the time is now for us to stand up and accept the charge that was given to us. And so as we go back to our text, we have to also understand that God's way of building a house of worship always includes point number two, the commission. Point number two, the commission. Not just any commission, the great commission. We just went over Paul's last words. Well, the Lord Jesus Christ's last words was the great commission, recorded for us five times in scripture. If Jesus said it once, we ought to pay attention. If he says it five times, it ought to change our lives, right? And he gave us the Great Commission. The Great Commission is always fulfilled with us being willing to letter A, go. We got to go. Pastor talked about it, uh, April 1st. No, it's no April Fool's Day. You got to go out and reach them. We have to compel them to come in. I have nothing against websites and Facebook and signage and inviting people in and opening the doors and, and landscaping. We did all that right for a reason, to reach people where they're at. But the Bible tells us we have to go and compel them to come in. We have to reach them where they're at and then allow the Holy Spirit to take them where they need to go. The Great Commission is always filled with us going. Look at verse 3. It says, who is there among all his people? His God be with them. Listen, whatever God calls you to do in 23, your God will be with you. He won't leave you nor forsake you. He will equip you to do what he's called you to do. If God calls you to go and build, then his God be with him. Let him go. Let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. Mark 16, 15 says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. we got to go. We got to go through this local church into this area. And when it comes time uh, to start another work somewhere else, we got to go, 
right? God calls people to go to the mission field. He calls people to start churches. Um, we can't all stay here, but at the same time, we can't all go either, right? Let's say there was an area 30 minutes away that needs a church. Well, if we all got up and went there, well, then who's going to reach this Jerusalem, right? So some will go and some will stay. All should pray and all should pay. The moment I moved to Willoughby, Ohio, that became my Jerusalem. My effort, my tithe goes to reaching that community. But I have to give above and beyond that uh, faith promise missions giving to be able to reach Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, right? And so the Great Commission is also fulfilled with us being willing to let her be give. Look at verse 4. It says, And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, I love that word. Guys, we're just sojourning. We're just passing through. We're just pilgrims. Don't put your stakes so down deep in the ground. Don't get so caught up in your homes and your vehicles and your hobbies. There's nothing wrong with any of that. We need all those things to live. But we can be content with a cottage here because we got a mansion waiting for us up there. Amen. And so he says, let the man of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. This is above and beyond. If you're not going, give, right? Those who are going to go, go. Those who are going to give, give. But everybody can and should be involved in every aspect of the Great Commission. Acts chapter 20, verse 35 says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. You can't outgive God. I've tried. You can't. It's impossible. You cannot outgive him. He gives and gives and gives. He, he is such a gracious God. We don't deserve anything, but that doesn't stop him from giving it to us. He loves us so much that he died for us, and he would not stop us uh, from doing anything that he's called us to do. As a matter of fact, he will actually send us on our way. And so we understand that in order for us to, to, to build houses of worship God's way, there, there's, there's a charge involved. Uh, there's the commission, the great commission. And then lastly, God's way of building a house of worship will always include point number three, the calling. Point number three, the calling. Now, earlier I, I explained to you my call into ministry from Romans chapter 10. But I'm telling you, that passage of scripture is for every born-again believer. And all of us have been called to God's specific will uh, for our lives. There's the general will that's the same for all of us, but then there's a specific will. And each and every one of you has a specific will that God wants for you to be fulfilled through this local church. And so we have to seek what that is. Uh, and there's a calling involved in that. The calling will always include letter A, a surrender. Letter A, a surrender. Now listen, I'm not here to tell you it's all rainbows and roses, right? We don't preach the prosperity gospel here, amen? We preach Christ and him crucified, right? And, and we preach the gospel as it is. And I'm telling you, if you want to do something great for God, he can and will use you, but it's going to cost you some things, right? It's going to cost you walking away from a sport or walking away from a hobby or walking away from a job that pays better, but it keeps you out of church or it keeps you from soul winning, right? It's going to cost us some things. But you cannot outgive God. It is worth the surrender that is given. Verse 5 says, Then rose up the chief of the fathers. And fathers, I'm here to tell you today, we are going to answer to God for how we raise our families. Don't let them see you put TV or sports ahead of God in his house. He loves the church. He died for it. And he loves the lost nation. He wants us to reach it. And it's more important than basketball. 
It is, and I love sports, but it is, it's more important. So the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all them whose spirit God raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And they surrender to go do that work. Now here, God does the supernatural with the natural. Now God would not have just poof, put a temple up if men weren't willing to go. Nobody would reach Willoughby with the gospel if we weren't willing to go. Nobody's done it for 30 years, right? God wants to reach them. God can reach them, but somebody's got to be willing to go. Now these men here, now think about it. They were in captivity for 70 years. I don't think there was many 85-year-olds going back to build the temple. My, 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 my understanding is it was probably people that had never seen Jerusalem. Never saw it. But God stirred up in their heart and they said, I'd be willing to go. And I'll be willing to go. And it takes a surrender. I was on staff at Cleveland Baptist. I got saved there. I was uh, trained there at the Bible Institute. Uh, it wasn't as good back then because we didn't have Pastor Jacobs running it. But it was still okay. It was still okay. I got hired by Pastor Kevin Folger. I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, halfway through my time in the Institute. And I was on staff there for three years. And um, I loved life. I was a Cleveland Baptist guy. That was my church. I was saved there, right? I mean, that, that, is, like, that is in my DNA. Uh, and then we got to the transition. And, and, and Pastor Folger preached the Sunday morning of the transition, but it was more of a generic message because there was maybe 2,000 people there that day, 1,500 people there that day. Uh, the Sunday night before was really his last message to the church family. And, and, and I mean, it was, he was crying. He, he, getting from the chair to the pulpit, he's crying. We're all crying. I mean, it was, it was a great time, trust me, right? But, but he said something in that message that, that changed our lives forever. You know, first he said, guys, it's going to be okay. Change is inevitable. And you guys know, you've been through it. Change is inevitable. It has to happen. He goes, we made it through the first transition from Pastor Thompson to myself, and we'll make it through this. And then he said this. He said, I've been here a long time. He was on staff for like 41 years as either associate or senior pastor. He goes, I've been here a long time, and for what it's worth, this is the best pastoral staff we had ever had. Now, I was on that staff, and I hate to say it, but my first thought was pride. I, I'm literally like, <laughs> I am on the best pastoral staff that Cleveland Baptist has ever had, right? So when uh, you see Pastor Wolven and uh, Dr. Al Stone, you let them know that I was on the best staff of all time at the Cleveland Baptist Church. But that, that pride quickly went away when I realized, you know, it's all God, right? And we're just so grateful and be, to be a part of it. And I was very humbled because that was my church. That's where my kids were being raised and reared. And I said, God, you're so good to us. We have so much. You're so gracious. Why We have so much. We don't deserve all this. And then, then it hit me. And this is when the Holy Spirit really, 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 really jabbed me. And my face got real serious. And I said, and this is happening during the message. He's preaching. Holy Spirit's beating me up. And I said, who do we think we are? This is gluttony. This is wrong. We have, and again, there's nothing wrong. Pastor, you know, churches need staff, right? Um, but, but when you have four guys that are about 40 years old that are called to preach and pastor all on the same staff, there's a problem there, right? And nothing wrong. That's just the system the way it is. I'm not blaming anybody. But I said, who are we? There's, there's churches out there without pastors. There's areas out there without churches. And look at all we have. And, and then I literally, during the message, I started looking around at my coworkers. I looked at with Sam, I looked at Brother Tom, a couple other guys, and I said, all right, God, 
which one of these guys are we getting rid of? I said, you let me know, I'll go let them know, and we'll get them out of here, right? And of course, as is typically the situation, as you're going like this, right, God's pointing right back here. And God was working on me that, that he wanted me to leave. And I might struggle with that, but if God wanted it, I was willing to do it. And so I spent, I met with my pastor over and over again. We, we prayed, we cried, we fasted, we saw, I sought godly counsel. And, and it, was, it was about nine months, the whole process, because I wanted to make sure it was what God wanted. And, and, and Pastor Pete, that last time we met, he, he preached, uh, he prayed specifically, God, make it clear one way or another. And I went back to my office, and at the time I was preaching through the Gospel of John um, in my Sunday school class. And I was in the Gospel of John, and I was going from John to Romans, whatever I was doing at the time. And again, preachers in here, Sunday school teachers, you guys know when you're studying, sometimes you can kind of just lose your thought. Right? Sometimes you got to just lose your way. And, and I was studying, and somehow, it's like, I don't know if there was a bird out the window, maybe Mr. Witzke came around or something. I'm like, what am I doing? What's going on? And I kind of snapped back into it, and I looked down, and I was in the book of Acts. And I kind of laughed at myself. Now, it is in, the, in between John and Romans, but I had no, no business being there. Started flipping back to John, and the Holy Spirit said, go back there. Go back there. I got something for you in there. So said, okay, so I went back. It was Acts chapter 20. These are the verses that I read. Paul's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Acts chapter 20, verse 22 through 24. He says, And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things which shall befall me there, save or accept that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And I said, okay, Lord, you want it? You got it. We're going to go. I don't want to go. I want to stay. But where God gives you a burden, he gives you a desire, and then he equips you for the task he has called you to do. And we yielded that day. We said, all right, God, we're going to go. And it was a surrender. Listen, I'm not, there's nothing wrong with you if you don't want to do something that God wants you to do. That's called being a human, right? What did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? The things that I don't want to do, I do. The things that I do want to do, I don't. Oh, wretched man that I am. There's nothing wrong with not wanting to do it. What's wrong is when we don't want to do it and we don't yield to the Holy Spirit to do it anyways. That's where the sin comes in. That's where the problem comes in. And it's going to take a surrender, but oh, is it worth it. And these men were willing to surrender to go. And then lastly, the calling will also include let her be a sacrifice. Let her be a sacrifice. And they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem and had put them in the house of his gods. And, and so it's not only going to take a surrender, but it's going to take a sacrifice. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth the cheerful giver. This is not talking about a tithe. A tithe is not us giving, it's us giving back to God what he's already given to us. The tithe goes to, to reaching our Jerusalem, to keeping the bills paid here, to pay salaries, to pay lights, air conditioning, all of the necessities to reach our Jerusalem, all of what we need in America to reach our communities. This is not talking about this. It says, every man according as he purposeth in his heart. 
And it says to give not grudgingly or of necessity. This is talking about a faith promise mission giving, a grace giving above and beyond our tithe. This is talking about something that's between you uh, and me and the Holy Spirit, all of us as individuals. It's not going to be the same. There's a reason why we hand out faith promise mission cards and it doesn't have a spot for your name. Right. Because it really doesn't matter who's giving what, because it's between you and God. It's between me and God. It's not between us. A tithe is different. Right. It's a different thing. And listen to what it says after this. Now, not only does God love the cheerful giver, but it says in verse eight, God is able to make all grace abound toward you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You know what he's saying? Give. Just give. Don't worry about the light bill. Don't worry about the new car. Don't worry about those things. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and my righteousness, and all of those things will be added unto you. He's saying, you give when I tell you to give, what I tell you to give, and I will give you all of the necessities in life and allow it to where you could give to everything that I tell you to give to. Now, I don't know about you, but I got saved in 2011, and I spent the first, I don't know, 10 years of my Christian life not living this way. Coming up on Faith Promise Missions, I would typically kind of look at my budget, try to see where I could, you know, scrape and scrounge, and what could I afford? It's not about what I could afford. You know what we did this year? We gave it all away. Every cent that we had. Every ounce of ourselves. I, I, I came up to my wife uh, in January, and I said, uh, hey, we need to get this. And she goes, we can't. We're, that's it. We, everything that we did this summer uh, for ministry, uh, both pouring concrete for ministry and in ministry and, and trying to get the building, it took everything from us. Everything. And then God showed up. And we walked away uh, from the Heartland Baptist Bible uh, Conference uh, and, and, and everything that we've seen God do since that moment when we said, it's all yours, take it, and God has stepped up every step of the way. We have seen God do amazing things. My kids have seen God work this year, this year like I, I could have never, uh, ever fathomed that God would do that in our lives. From faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. We are saved. We trust him and only him with our eternal souls, but we don't trust him with our bills. We don't trust him with our necessities in life. Why do we do that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to live that way anymore. We had a ministry come and put some flooring in for us. And I just really felt burdened, and, and he wasn't expecting anything. He, he, he's, it's his ministry. Now, he, he, he expects a place to stay, some food, uh, and a love offering. But he, if it's a church plant, you don't have to give me a love offering. But I just really felt burdened. A labor is worthy of his hire, and God has been supplying for us, and we ought to give him something. So I got together with the men uh, of, of this young church, and I said, I feel like we should give him $1,000. And they said, well, how, how much money do we have? And at the time, I said, we have negative $12,000 because we were still $12,000 in debt from what we needed to raise. I said, but I don't want to live this way anymore. I want to do what God tells me to do when he tells me to do it and trust him with the results. And we did that. And here I'm telling you that that $12,000 was raised and we need another $12,000 that I found out after and already $3,500 of that is raised. You cannot outgive God. And I'm here to tell you, brother and sister, in 2023, let's make a decision to surrender and sacrifice for this great calling that God has for each and every one of us and our families and our church to do amazing things so God could do amazing things in and through our churches in 2023. We can reach our nation with the gospel, but we have to get serious about this. So as we close, I just I like to end my sermons asking just a few questions. 
How are we, how are we doing today? When we, when we close in prayer and pastor comes and we have our time of invitation, allow the Holy Spirit to work in and through your life and my life. And let's be honest and ask the questions. Most of the time, I end up right up here because there's something that the Holy Spirit brings up in me that I'm still holding on to, that I got to get out, that I got to get out before God could really start working. And so I ask us to allow the Holy Spirit to search us on these questions. Have we accepted the charge? Have we accepted it? Are we actively charging the gates of hell with the gospel? Individuals, families, and as a church. Number two, are we fulfilling every aspect, go, preach and teach the gospel, baptize and disciple, in every area, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost, of the Great Commission. Now, every individual Christian is to call to fulfill every aspect and every area of the Great Commission through the local church. So God gets the glory. So as an individual, as a family, and as a church, are we fulfilling every aspect and every area of the Great Commission? And then lastly, and probably most importantly, are we willing to surrender and sacrifice for this great calling? It's gonna, it's gonna take a surrender. It's gonna take a financial sacrifice, but are we willing to do it? It's a great calling. I pray just about every day, and I say, God, I'm so thankful for the ministry you've given me. I'm so thankful for the family you've given me. I love nothing more than serving God with my family. We were talking about how so many people miss church nowadays, and I said, I would choose, like if somebody gave me a free Super Bowl ticket, I would choose a Wednesday night service somewhere to go to instead, because I love being in God's house. I love being with God's people, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I love serving with my family. But you know what? Uh, my, my daughter's called to be a Christian school teacher. My, my son has surrendered to, to help us in the ministry. But who knows what God may have them do, right? I don't know. Um, and I pray every day. I say, God, if it be your will, keep us together. Let us serve as a family until you come. I said, but if it's not your will, not mine, but your will be done. I said, but give me the grace that I need to see them go to do what is, what is your calling for them. And that's, that's, that's a surrender. That's a sacrifice, right? I'm sure your parents didn't like it too much when you went to the foreign mission field, right? But, but, but isn't God worth it? It's a, it's a great calling, but we need to step up and put our names on it, take ownership of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you for your uh, ministry. Lord, the fact that you've chosen us to be your ambassadors, uh, to be given the ministry of reconciliation and the ministry of the word. Uh, it doesn't make sense to us, Lord, because we know who we are. But we got to stop looking at who we are and start looking at who you are. You've chosen the weaker, uh, base, lowly, foolish things of this world to confound the wise. So you get the glory. And we got to allow you to do that. Lord, help us to, to give of ourselves, of our uh, time, our talent, and our treasures for you this year. Lord, help us to see so many souls saved uh, in Willoughby, in Massillon, in Ohio, in the United States of America. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Pastor. As we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed as the piano plays very clear message this morning. Have you accepted the charge? Are you committed to his cause? Are we doing our part? As the piano plays, the altar's open. If God's spoken to your heart, maybe you want to be a better witness. Maybe you want to pray more. Maybe you want to give more. Maybe you want to go more. Whatever the need, the altar's open. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. That is the first step. You can't, you can't really get involved until you're a child of God. Listen, Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. And he rose again on the third day. And why did he do that? He did that to save you from 
from your sins. He loves you, he cares about you, and he wants you to be saved and to put your faith and trust in him. If you've never done that, boy, what today is a great day to do that. If you're not sure about that or you need help with that, why don't you come and we'll have somebody take a Bible and show you how you can know for sure where you'll spend eternity. That's the most important decision you'll ever make in your life. Christian, are you committed? Are you committed to giving? Are you committed to going? Are we living for Christ? Are we being a witness where we ought to be? We've been challenged last week, this week, I know next week, the following week. This world needs to hear about a Savior. We have a great responsibility.